Good morning, everyone. Friends, we are celebrating um, Corpus Christi, or also what is known now as the uh, Solemnity of the Most Holy Body and Blood of, of Christ. And uh, our first reading, we hear um, from Genesis about Melchizedek, um, who is a king and a priest, and uh, he is a mysterious figure because he appears suddenly. And uh, we are told that he brings gifts of, of bread and wine to bless Abram, Abraham. So the glory is to God, but the gifts of this bread and wine are for Abraham. And we would understand it as grace being given, uh, blessing, grace to him. So in our Christian tradition, that bread and wine uh, were taken to prefigure the Eucharist. St. Paul uh, gives us one of our earlier accounts, if you will, uh, about the words of Jesus. And when we celebrate the Eucharist, uh, as he would develop, we would do not merely make Christ uh, present, but uh, reenact the death by which he has saved us. Uh, it's a great, he's talking about the sacrifice of the Mass and these words of Jesus. And in our gospel, Jesus provides an extraordinary meal for sure for those who had been following him into the desert. And uh, my friends, today in the Eucharist, the church continues the mission of Jesus. As we were told, he healed and then he taught. He sat down and taught them and then he fed them. And uh, so the church continues the teaching and healing and the nourishing of God's people. My friends, um, the, the gospel uh, certainly has much to speak about and much analogy for the Eucharist. And normally, you are here with me always, I tend to stay right to the scriptures and talk about them and expound upon them. But on this solemnity of, um, of Corpus Christi, I'd like to talk about the, the solemnity itself so that you understand it. And um, this solemnity originated in Belgium in the 13th century by a nun, and she is known as St. Juliana. And the details of the solemnity that you are celebrating today in this church was given to her in a vision by our Lord, and he asked her to tell the world. Uh, he desired that this be celebrated as a solemnity, this, the body and blood of him. So today's celebration is an expression of our faith and belief in the real presence of Christ in the Blessed Sacrament. My homily I will draw from the writings of a person from our Catholic past, and this is where it's a little bit different for me, what I'll do today. Um, this person, his name is Justin, and he died a martyr in Rome in the year 165 A.D., so very early in the church. He is most commonly known as St. Justin Martyr. And um, when I read about him, uh, I found a description of what we know as the Mass. Um, this becomes important, one, because it's so beautiful, but it tells us what was done then is being done now. And uh, his description uh, is about what we would know as Mass, uh, the Sunday Eucharist. Uh, and he was so very close, as I said, he died in 165 A.D. So he was very close to the very area, the era of Jesus of Nazareth on the earth, meaning Christ and his original apostles. So this is what he wrote, and I would like to share with you. On Sunday... We have a common assembly of all of our members. 
the recollections of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read. Now remember, there was no Bible then. There was the Torah, the Old Testament, but not the Bible as we know it and understand it. So this is why he is saying the recollections of the apostles, they are telling us, uh, uh, they told us what happened. And the writings of the prophets are his reference to the Old Testament. When the reader has finished, he said, the presider of the assembly speaks to us. He urges everyone to imitate the examples of virtue we have heard in the readings. Do what Jesus said. <laughs> then we all stand up together and pray. At the conclusion of our prayer, bread and wine are brought forward. The presider offers prayers and gives thanks to the best of his ability. And the people give their assent by saying, Amen. And in the liturgy of the Eucharist, you will do this. Just want you to, I'm pointing out where all the similarities are. The Eucharist is distributed to those, and those present communicate. And what they mean by that, those present uh, receive the Eucharist. Then he goes on, and the deacons take it to those who are absent. The reason why he says deacons is because at that time, there were no priests like me. There were only deacons and bishops. The priesthood, as you see here in front of you, Father Mark, comes later. So at the time, there was only the bishop and deacons. And that's why he said, and, those, um, and the deacons take it to those who are absent, probably those who are ill. The wealthy make a contribution, and they themselves decide the amount. Imagine that. They themselves decide the amount for your reflection. The collection is placed in the custody of the presider. Not anymore, St. Justin. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but the collection is placed in the custody of the presider who uses it to help the orphans and widows and all who are for any reason in distress, whether they are sick, in prison, or away from home. St. Justin Martyr goes on. In a word, he takes care of all who are in need. We hold our common assembly on Sunday. Please take note of what he's saying. We hold our common assembly on Sunday because it is the first day of the week, the day on which God put darkness and chaos into flight and created the world. And because on that same day, our Savior Jesus Christ rose from the dead. For he was crucified on Friday, and on Sunday he appeared to his apostles and disciples and taught them the things which we have passed on for your consideration. My friends, the reason why St. Justin Martyr did not say Sabbath or refer to the Sabbath is because it's not. We are celebrating the day of the resurrection on Sunday. It is different from the Sabbath. And this is a more complicated thing for me to talk to you about, but it is not the Sabbath. That is why Justin does not refer to it. He refers to it, this is the day that God created everything, but more importantly, this is the day that our Savior rose from the dead. So when we come together on Sunday, we are celebrating not the Sabbath. We are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. He went on to say, 
No one may share the Eucharist with us unless one believes all that we teach is true. And unless one is washed in the regenerating waters of baptism for the remission of one's sins. And unless one live in accordance with the principles given us by Christ. My friends, you see the tradition uh, where I know some folks are very bitter about the Eucharist and why we do not share it with other Christian denominations. But from the beginning, it has been this way. It is not a judgment on the heart of other Christians, but about unity. And I'll get to that in a bit. Justin went on to say, We do not consume the Eucharistic bread and wine as if it were ordinary food and drink. For we have been taught that as Jesus Christ our Savior became man of flesh and blood by the power of the Word of God, so also the food, referring to the Eucharist, that our flesh and body assimilates for its nourishment becomes the flesh and blood of the incarnate Jesus, the Christ, by the power of his own words contained in the prayer of thanksgiving. That is the part of the liturgy of the Eucharist that you see priests and bishops do. Here he changes this a little bit. He said, the apostles in their recollections, which are called the Gospels, handed down to us what Jesus commanded them to do. They tell us that he took bread, gave thanks, and said, Do this in memory of me. This is my body. In the same way he took the cup, he gave thanks and said, This is my blood. And ever since then we have constantly reminded one another of these things. End of quote. This was St. Justin Martyr's experience of what we know as Mass. And my friends, as your priest and your pastor, I can confidently tell you that if St. Justin Martyr were to come in the flesh and walk into this church in Gig Harbor, he would recognize the Mass. And he would give honor to God because we have continued in that tradition and hold to it. But he would recognize it. My friends, the, the Catholic Church has never and will never deviate from this sacred tradition. And there have been entities outside the church and within the church that has tried to destroy this, has tried to change it and make it something that would not be recognizable to him. But that has not happened because of Christ and his promise. Do you understand? My friends, for us then, the Eucharist, and I'm going to quote the Catechism for you pretty much completely now. The Eucharist is Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity under the appearance of bread and wine. It is made present real and substantially during the Mass. The Mass is at the same time and inseparably the sacrificial memorial in which the sacrifice of the cross is perpetuated and the sacred banquet of communion with the Lord's body and blood. But the celebration of the Eucharistic sacrifice is wholly directed toward the intimate union of the faithful with Christ through communion. To receive Holy Communion is to receive Christ himself who has offered himself for us. 
It is by the conversion of the bread and wine into Christ's body and blood that Christ becomes present in this sacrament. The church fathers strongly affirmed the faith of the church in the efficacy of the word of Christ and of the action of the Holy Spirit to bring about this conversion. Thus, it is not man that causes these things offered to become the body and blood of Christ, but he who was crucified for us, who gave himself up for us, it is Christ himself who transforms it. So it is not, it may look like bread and wine, but it is not. And this is the unity amongst the Roman Catholic Christians and the Orthodox Church regarding the Eucharist. And if it is not, it better be. The priest, in the role of Christ, pronounces these words, but their power and grace are God's. Meaning, not me. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and Christ changes it. Those words transform the things offered. This transformation, the Eucharist, the holy body and blood of Christ, has effects on those who properly receive it, properly disposed, who receive his body and blood. The effects of the sacrament are these. The Eucharist increases our union with Christ and with each other. There's that great unity we talk about. It separates us from sin and keeps us from future mortal sin. It takes away venial sins. So when you receive the Eucharist properly in that state, it takes away venial sins. It unites us to the church. It helps us to go and care for those in need. And as wonderful as those effects are, there is still one more that is greater. Recall our Lord's words from sacred scripture. Take this and eat it, all of you. The Lord addresses an invitation to us, urging us to receive him in the sacrament of the Eucharist. And this is what the scripture says. Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. John 6, 53. Continuing, Jesus said, I am the living bread come down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And he goes on to say, and I will abide, he will abide in me, and I in him. John 6.51, John 6.54, John 6.56. Hence the church rightly states, the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. The other sacraments, and indeed all ecclesiastical ministries and works of the apostolate, are bound up with the Eucharist and oriented toward it. For in the blessed Eucharist is contained the whole spiritual good of the church, namely Christ himself, our Pask. And finally, by the Eucharistic celebration, we already unite ourselves with the heavenly liturgy and anticipate eternal life when God will be all in all. Maybe perhaps that is the greatest feature of the Eucharist. 
Out of love, He did this so that we would have eternal life with Him. So my friends, regarding then the Eucharist and our preparation, with all of this, should we not consider how should we approach then the Eucharist? How do we prepare ourselves for so great and so holy a moment? I will go back to scriptures. St. Paul urges us to examine our conscience. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. 1 Corinthians 11, 27-30 Anyone conscious of a grave sin must receive the sacrament of reconciliation before coming to Holy Communion. You see, my friends, as a Catholic, you have a recourse. For other Christians, they do not. I, you can come to the sacrament of reconciliation. The Christians can't. They won't anyway. But do you see? They can't. So you prepare this way to enter. Before so great a sacrament, the faithful can only echo humbly and with ardent faith the words of the centurion, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul will be healed. Matthew 8, 8. So my friends, with love and humbleness as your pastor, furthermore, to prepare for worthy reception of the sacrament, the faithful should observe the fast required in the church. They should have bodily demeanor, gesture, and clothing that should convey the respect and solemnity and the joy of the moment when Christ becomes our guest, if you will, in the Blessed Sacrament. My friends, Jesus always asked that his Father be given glory. That's why he came. That was his prayer always. And now we as Christians give the Father glory in the name of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. And Jesus talked about his Father's house. And that's why I wrote on our house so you could see it. It is written, my house shall be a house of prayer. Not a house of hatred and a house of anger and a house of division or a house of gossip or a house of politics, but a house of prayer where all may come. And while maybe not all of us can be together at the table now, as Bishop Fulton Sheen would say, we can all come together on our knees. His house is meant to be a house unified in unity. You and I must continue to do what is necessary to keep that in place, to keep his house a house of prayer. I've done what I can in this community, in this church, to keep out all the nonsense and to keep out things that do not belong, really, 
even to the ire of the downtown office because I'll say, no, I don't think that should be inside the church. I don't want to do that right now. So I'm always obedient. I pledge to obedience to the archbishop and all of his successors. But you and I, we can keep this house a house of prayer where everyone can come in peace and offer their prayers. My friends, uh, you remember a couple of months ago when we were having uh, a problem with we were finding the Eucharist in the pew, and while we did not know who was doing it or why, I appealed to you to help me. And I said, together we can resolve this and get it to stop. And we have. It hasn't happened again. And we did that because we united as a family. You receive the Eucharist in front of the minister immediately. You say amen. And then we're able to watch to see if anyone walks away with it. And then we're with the Eucharist. That way we can address it. So we brought it under control. And uh, so I thank you. So I know together, when united, many things we can get accomplished. And we can certainly, we can certainly do what is written in Matthew and Luke and Mark. Keep my house a house of prayer for God. 